Welcome to the Progress Texas Happy Hour. Okay, I'm recording. But basically, we we had a, we went on a tangent this morning about burgers, and then Diana started asking about fries at In-N-Out, and she's saying, I don't know what you Californians see in that. And then Sam and I were like, well, hold on a second. We never said anything about the fries. People who talk about the fries are people who just are amazed that a potato goes into a slicer and it comes out but as that's fries. that's a part of the burger experience. That's what? That's a part of the burger experience. You don't just have a You've burger. I've never seen where my fries come from. It's I, I eat them before I even get home. That's what I do, actually. We'll fries is my drive-home snack. No, we're recording. Fries can ruin a meal. Because if you have bad fries, <laughs> no. that could happen anywhere. That could happen anywhere. You get cold McDonald's fries, ruined. Meal, ruined. I agree, but I don't need to see thing, how they're made. If there's one thing I will defend until my last day, it's potatoes. I love potatoes. It's the best food. It can be so oh. many things. And to hear them being insulted, it's just... Like well, no, wait a minute. Not I'm not insulting potatoes not or fries. I'm, I'm saying <laughs> that the process of watching a potato turned into a fry, to me, is not that interesting. I mean, these sound like yeah. excuses for in and outs like, shitty fries. Um, excuses. Look. <laughs> a potato is a great thing. I'm, there's no potato slander here. What I am saying, it's hard to perfect a potato. And if you process it and put in a bunch of frozen nonsense, then yeah, you can have it for mass consumption. It's hard to make a good potato last when you slice it right there, throw it in the peanut oil or whatever it is, and have a good time. Yeah, you have three minutes to enjoy it before it's terrible. I get that about In-N-Out. That's the sacrifice you make. That's why they cover it in sauce, animal style, because you have to eat it like an animal because you only have three minutes. It distracts right, right. you from the terrible dryness of the fries. That's why they put the animal sauce on the fries so they can have some sort of moisture in the ty- styrofoam texture. Yes. Okay, <laughs> like no that's one why. Is fighting agreed. That. No one can is I, fighting that. I would like to say that here in Austin, In and Out is largely irrelevant because we have P. Terry's here. Yes. But but I but I will say I, I hold on oh Sam I know, what you, I know you want to go Sam hold on Sam what I got to say is P Terry's burgers I find superior to In and Outs but P Terry's fries are pretty terrible well now wait a minute I, you, oh, you need to walk that back sir okay yeah that's pre they they're they're undercooked they're greasy they're flavorless they're, they taste like they taste like oil they yeah don't, it's they don't thin do it. so I will how, say how, false across the board how could you be wrong twice. <laughs> Wrong twice in a statement? Yeah. Okay. First first of all, you talk about irrelevancy. There's three in and out burgers in the city of Austin, and that is in a non California state. Like I get like Nevada. Is Austin Vegas a non California state? There's so in and out is y'all's coping mechanism for deciding to come over here. That's why you'll have them. <laughs> I think Austin is pretty much a Southern California enclave at this point. Yeah. So, no, you know. And y'all I'll brought those this, here. Though. We don't mess with them. We see them there, but I don't go. Let me say something really deeply uncool. And back to the fries topic is that of all the fries that we've discussed so far, fresh McDonald's fries are the best of them all. Nothing better. I, I'm sorry. I agree. Nothing better. I, I, am, I, I haven't been to McDonald's in years. I, I rarely go, but they really are America's fr- favorite fries. And I think my cat is trying to eat my lunch right now. My, my P. Terry's is next to me here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's bias. I haven't gotten Wait, too fast a, enough. That is a recency bias. 
<laughs> you're hungry, you're eating a Pete Terry's burger, of course it's going to be the best burger because it's right there. <laughs> you know what? And I guess, you know, we have been rolling and we were going to talk about politics at some point. So is this a good time to say welcome to the yeah. Progress Texas Happy <laughs> Hour? Politics. This is the real politics. Cal- burger politics. Bur- burgers are great. And you know what? We didn't even talk about Crown and Anchor or Casino El Camino or any of the non-fast food burgers that are terrific around town, but we'll, we'll save that for later. Welcome y'all to the Progress Texas Happy Hour for this week. I'm your host, Chris Mosier, for this week. We are joined uh, in the round here by Progress Texas President Ed Espinosa, Advocacy Director Diana Gomez, and Digital Manager Sam Gonzalez. Welcome, everyone, regardless of what you had for lunch today. Uh, we do have a, it's a rather positive moment, I think. It's a rather optimistic moment. And, you know, as a longtime progressive Democratic voter here in Texas, optimism is scary. Optimism is usually what happens right before a giant defeat. And so I find myself with some trepidation saying that I'm rather optimistic uh, about prospects of things based on a whole bunch of things. We've seen Beto O'Rourke drawing giant crowds in his barnstorming of Texas. We've seen him have a viral uh, longtime Republican voters popping up on his feeds and going viral. It's been wonderful. Uh, Joe Biden at the federal level has seen, you know, we had the big Al-Qaeda kill recently, uh, progress in Congress that didn't look like it was going to happen. Uh, John Stewart, of course, I would say that's a win for Biden as well. The the big spin around on the, on the veterans thing. Gas prices are going down. Gas prices are going down. The stock market doing decent in the last couple of days. Things are looking a little rosier right now. And again, I'm trying to be really cautious about that. But what really, really makes me super optimistic and really what we want to start the discussion with this week is what has happened in the state of Kansas, which, by the way, I had I checked on this. Kansas uh, is redder than Texas. Kansas went to Trump by almost 15 points in 2020. Texas went to Trump by 5.5 points. Uh, the legislature in Kansas is considerably redder than Texas in both chambers of their legislature. Kansas also has a, rep- a Democratic governor. So, folks, there is yeah. hope. Wow. We can get there. I mean, <laughs> this is a massive, you know, uh, pre midterm. Uh, I hope it's a bellwether. It's really remarkable. Diana, tell us with some detail what's gone down in Kansas. Yeah, so Kansas uh, this past Tuesday had this uh, state amendment. Um, you'll remember what state amendments are because we had an amazing podcast <laughs> um, many months back about uh, this election that mostly had Texas uh, state amendments on it. Um, not as exciting as, as this one though because what happened was that uh, folks in Kansas rejected this amendment. They voted no on it. And it was an amendment that would have allowed the state legislature uh, there to ban abortion, to ban a life-saving uh, procedure. In what you mentioned, Chris, is a red state. Um, a very red state. A very red state. And so what this means is that Kansas is going to remain one of the very few red states in the entire country where abortion is going to be a lot more widely accessible than it is in you know, a lot of the country right now. And this comes just six weeks after um, a row was overturned here in the US. So this is um, an amazing battle that was won by folks over there in Kansas. And this is big news because uh, it wasn't just you know a win by like 50.5%. Uh, they won by double digits. They completely obliterated the anti-abortion opposition. And it, it just was goes to points. show that a majority of people in Kansas, a majority of Americans, and, it, and this also 
um, is a, a clue into the fact that like most people are for abortion access, including Texans. It gives a lot of hope to a lot of people and just shows you that the only reasons we have a lot of um, you know abortion bans or anti-abortion policies is because are a lot of uh, states that are supposedly red have been gerrymandered that way and hijacked by these super far right radical folks. So it's an amazing glimmer of hope, a really great win that folks across the entire country are celebrating. And you can't gerrymander a statewide election, which I think is what you see here. I just, I just did a quick Google search and, you know, Kansas, to give you an example of how red it is, it has not voted Democratic in a presidential election in any of our lifetimes here. So 1964, Lyndon Johnson was the last time they voted Democratic in a presidential election. 30 years before that was the last time they voted Democratic, and that was for FDR. So the fact that this initiative went down in flames by 20 points shows that this is not a Democratic or Republican issue. This is a medical issue, is an issue of government overreach, and is an issue of Republicans lying to get something across the finish line. And voters saw right through it. It's interesting, too, that, I mean, it goes without saying that in a state like Kansas, you know, untold thousands of Republican voters uh, voted uh, to keep protections for abortion in Kansas. And in fact, we have come across at least one example that I saw that uh, Diana posted earlier of a specific messaging that is coming from Republican sources to Republican voters about preserving uh, that aspect of, uh, of freedom. Ed, talk a bit more about uh, you know how messaging, you know, we're, we're, uh, Progress Texas is a messaging organization. That's what we do. Uh, there was a Twitter thread put up by someone named Bill Shear, S-C-H-E-R, Bill Shear. And he goes over some of the things that the ads that were run and the messages that were run to win support for this. And this is what I think is really interesting. They didn't say abortion that often. Not because we shouldn't say abortion, because we should say abortion. We shouldn't shy away from that. But because these abortion laws are bigger than just abortion, right? Like they creep into so many elements of life and society and that's what becomes a problem with these things. And we've seen this already. Somebody who needs, uh, who's having an ectopic pregnancy and they have the, their, it is a danger to their lives, cannot get that treated because that treatment for that is considered an abortion and no doctor wants to facilitate that. So that becomes a problem, right? Seeing the government overreach, we mentioned a minute ago, of government telling doctors what they can and cannot do regardless of what is medically accurate or or what their Hippocratic oath entails. Interstate travel. Interstate travel, that that's right. Well. And that, Something as simple as that. And now you're seeing, actually, one of the, I, Chris, I don't know if you mentioned this a minute ago, but one of the things Biden did this week was signed an executive order protecting interstate travel for people who leave states like Texas to get abortion care outside of the state. The, the fact that people didn't talk about abortion in religious households growing up, but recognize that the importance of this, whether it is someone's choice regarding their family planning or if it's a necessity regarding their health, these are things that are so much bigger than just the, the abortion question itself. And that's what really moved voters here. So that was the no side. That was the side that was trying to defeat the, the initiative. But on the yes side, Republicans were running ads that were intentionally misleading. And let's let's remember that phrase because it happens a lot. Intentionally misleading and telling people that yes meant no 
or you know trying trying to confuse people on it's not it's it's not always a yes or a no or a for or against and so people can get misled and that was a lot of the strategy on the republican side it was very frustrating to see but i'm glad it didn't win yeah like i have the text i pulled up the text because it was so fascinating to me uh the text was from uh it was just kansas pro-choice uh against pro-choice voters women in kansas are losing their choice on reproductive rights voting yes on the amendment will give women a choice Vote yes to protect women's health. Straight up lie. Straight it's, up lie. Yeah, yeah, you said misinformation. That's good old fashioned lying. That's what your mama used to slap you on the wrist for when you knew you t- she knew you took cookies from the cookie jar. Like that was that's so blatant, and I've never seen anything like it personally. Like where it's just like, oh, we're just gonna lie to them straight up. I gotta I gotta disagree just slightly, Sam, because we've seen so much lying from the right over the last several years on so many different things. It is it's it's become where part of the conservative political strategy is this skirting of the truth and this attempt to kind of create a new subjective reality around what they want reality to be and not having any regard for what's real or what's right or what's ethical or what's not. It's really just about, they say whatever the, frankly, whatever the fuck they wanna say and just expect their followers, which frequently they're right, to just eat it up and follow along. Ed, would you mind sort of going over the difference? I actually didn't realize there was a difference. I thought they were interchangeable between misinformation and disinformation. Yes, Um, and I'm glad you brought that up because I did wanna talk about that. So we use them a lot interchangeably, and I I would think there's probably some overlap because they both result in bad information. But misinformation is something that you think is true and you share, or something that may be half true, right? Like rumors tend to be misinformation sometimes, sometimes they're not. Disinformation is intentionally misleading. That phrase that I mentioned earlier and is, is intention, intended to be deliberately deceptive. So um, when the Russian troll farms are out there and they were getting meddling in the 2016 elections, they were peddling disinformation. What Donald Trump does is disinformation. What the, party, uh, what the Republican Party and the far right does quite often is disinformation. Uh, misinformation is when the pandemic started and nobody had a real good idea of what it meant or what to do. And so we were saying, well, I heard this and I heard that. And then that suddenly becomes misinformation because we're unsure of it, right? Well, with Kansas, in the case of Kansas, you know, as we said before, not only is this something, this this uh, referendum result, something that is so seemingly unlikely just based on the political reality, but also in the face of misinformation and disinformation, it makes it all that more remarkable that uh, that the outcome uh, has been what it is. Do we think, and I'll start with you, Sam, do we think that there has been any kind of an awakening on the right? Do we think that people on the Republican side are perhaps starting to see through some of this uh, bad information that they've been subjected to relentlessly for years? I don't think it's an awakening because woke is their bad word that they love using over there on that side. <laughs> sure. But, right. But the, well, I did that on purpose. But the idea is that I think the the far right, the fringe right wing are getting so batshit, for lack of a better term, that a lot of classic Republicans don't want to go down that path. And, and I think there's more of those people than the fringe people. But the fringe people shout the loudest. They get the most airtime. And they're the craziest. I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene doesn't represent a lot of people in, like, in, like in the hearts and minds of America. But she's on TV every day. 
Why? She, why is the real question. But it gets clicks and it gets views. And so it's when it comes to the important things like life-saving healthcare, abortion, family planning, when it comes down to brass tacks, this is a topic that is one, widely popular, and two, a right that they already had. And so all they're doing is solidifying keeping the right that they already had, and that's not hard to do. It's an incumbent type of policy. It's harder to take away a right than it is to give a right. When giving a right is very popular. Marriage equality, people got a right, it was very popular. 18-year-old right to vote. In general, granting rights much more popular than taking away rights. And here, you're asking voters to take away rights. Their no, own. Not gonna, not gonna happen. Their own. Right, right. Dumb. Dumb. Yeah. So, awakening? No, I, I would say I would vote against no against an awakening, but more so, sensible people making sensible decisions. Right on. Well, that takes us to the second part of our conversation today, which perhaps itself might serve to, at least for some people, to finally maybe do a little bit of waking up. Uh, the situation with Alex Jones here in Austin, the, uh, the, the case that is to determine how much Alex Jones owes the families of the victims of the Sandy Hook mass shooting in Connecticut. Uh, this has been an absolute firestorm of a shit show. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to watch Alex Jones go down like the big, fat, meat-headed Hindenburg that he is, down in flames uh, over the last couple of days. Uh, let's kick over to uh, to Ed. I think Ed probably has some ideas about the, the last couple of days, what has happened with the lawyers and the texts and the phones and all that stuff. So the main thing here, for those who haven't followed it too closely, this is the case about Alex Jones, like you said, um, saying that Sandy Hook was fake, and it's all the, same, the the parents of the Sandy Hook kids who were killed uh, suing him for this. Right. And I believe this is the case to determine how much he owes. Right. Yeah. Right. So throughout the process, uh, lawyers had been asking him for text messages and emails that mentioned anything regarding Sandy Hook, and he had said he has nothing. Um, wow. His lawyers accidentally accidentally emailed everything from his cell phone to a po- to opposing counsel and opposing counsel had everything I- i'm not a lawyer but my understanding is opposing counsel can't use that unless they're allowed to or unless a certain amount of time expires um, they can they can claim it as privileged uh, That's right. Information. And so, therefore, there was a time frame where that information was unusable and can be retracted or redacted. Right. Which, but that, hit, which but Alex Jones' lawyers not. did not do. Right. right. And the first time <laughs> Alex Jones found out about this was when he was on the stand and opposing counsel let him know and he was, he was digging it up. And just to see Alex Jones hyperventilate while this was happening, you could see the color of his skin change. Uh, that not it, only did they find was, references to Sandy Hook, but like, I, I don't go ahead, Chris, because I have so much more to say about this. It's it's incredible on so many levels. It, it was just it was just beautiful. And uh, it's it's one of those things where the, and the latest uh, developments on this that have just come out in the last couple of hours, there is now a legal struggle over what we're talking about, whether or not. Uh, the uh, the lawyers for the Sandy Hook families can use this information. Oh, Alex Jones's lawyers are now saying that they asked um, the Sandy Hook lawyers to disregard links that were in the information that were sent over. And the links were what led to the information on Alex Jones's phone. The 
victims' families' uh, lawyers are now arguing that just an, a request to disregard information that was in the disclosure is not enough to have compelled them to do so. So they're going back and forth. You know, I, I am so happy to have met Maya Guerra Gamble, who's the presiding judge in this yes. case. Likewise. She, she, she's a terrific person and uh, just a, a super, super genuine and nice person. I'm so glad that she's in charge of this. And I felt like, wow, I know this. I feel like, a, you know, this is the rock star in the in the, in the the drama that I know personally. So yeah. she so far is, uh, is, is playing it pretty well. And we shall see. She will get the, she'll get to call, make the call, I guess, on whether or not, uh, the entirety of Alex Jones's phone is going to be brought into uh, this case, which I would think at that point would make it fair game for the January 6th investigation. Uh, I also want to talk about why this is why this is important to us, to progress, and to anybody right. listening to this. Right. Alex Jones has spewed so much hate and disinformation for so long. To see some accountability, to see somebody have to pay a price to suffer a consequence for this bad behavior that... It shows me that maybe there is still some justice in this world. And at the same time, I hope that the <clears throat> the makers of those voting machines who are going after Fox News, I hope that they get some justice after this as well. I hope that people who have been going after Donald Trump on the January 6th, uh, the, for anything else around January 6th, also have to suffer some consequences because it has happened for so long. I mean, we at Progress Texas, we do rapid response messaging. We do things that we can to shape public opinion but we don't engage in lies. We don't try to trick people into anything. We're just fighting for what we believe in and we're fighting back against the bad guys as well. But the stuff that these guys have gotten away with for so long is incredible. And Alex Jones made so much money off of it. Like, oh yeah, he right. got deplatformed and made more money when he got deplatformed, which is gonna lead to another lawsuit because he was claiming blank bankruptcy. And then they're seeing that this guy was raking in like anywhere between what was it, 800000 and $3 million per day? Yeah, uh, insane <laughs> amounts of money. You know, and th- this goes back to what I was talking about before. I, I think people who have become, you know, prominent in the, the industry of right-wing information have long dispensed with any sort of, you know, uh, uh, construct or any kind of constraint that would have yeah. them even regard the truth. And so I think what we're going to see, and I think what, what has led to what seems to be an impending kind of moment of reckoning for all this is that you cannot just lie and lie and lie and lie and get away with it. Yeah. That maybe we will, maybe there actually will be some comeuppance here. And the monetary portion, the payout is important because, uh, this was an article from insider, uh, a couple of days ago yesterday. Alex Jones claims a $2 million penalty for defaming Sandy Hook parents would sink InfoWars. So that cuts off the head of the dragon as well. And that stops this disinformation attack that's that's been streaming, you know? That's super important when it comes to that. Is not only is it just, you know, he got he's had to pay money to people who he's disrespected and, and caused uncalculable harm to, but also he doesn't get to do it anymore. Or it, make, it becomes very hard for him to do it. And uh, people are tired of his quite frankly, is bullshit. And he's admitted that it actually happened because he was, you know, under oath and he had to admit that Sandy Hook happened, which it did. And so when you talk about being, you know, that accountability, it, I don't like like laughing and smiling because what he was doing is so cruel, but the fact that he is getting it, getting what, getting his due, um, Mm -hmm. it it is satisfying for people who've seen it for so long. So the don't think it's glee is just because, oh yeah, we're getting a one up. It's like, no, we're getting tangible, change here a little bit here we're moving that needle over just right. a bit and we're not trying to sh- we're not trying to shut him up because we disagree with him we're trying to like 
fight back because he spreads so much hate and, and lies and it poisons people's minds. The power of messaging and of words and that words mean things and just how messages can be transformative and great in a positive way, they can also be so harmful and detrimental. I mean, to claim that all of these children weren't murdered, you know, by, you know, because of guns at Sandy Hook, that's, that's terrible. And he caused so much harm and he profited from that too, from the harm that he caused. So they deserve to get some sort of comp- compensation. It is wild indeed to, to think back to Sandy Hook, especially what, you know, what we've recently experienced in Uvalde here in Texas, which was, you know, an equally horrific and similar situation that uh, I think what, what's taken a lot of people aback was that Sandy Hook didn't change anything about the way the right viewed their gun rights or the way the NRA operated or any of that stuff. And so uh, to have, you know, that to me is the that's the huge defeat, really. But then to have it perverted into this conspiratorial and highly profitable thing by this man, he's he has got every bit of pain and every bit of financial loss coming. You know, why does it, why on earth would he be allowed to keep any of the money that he's gotten, you know, in, in such a way? You know, it, it's you know, I, I hope they take I hope they take his last dime. You know, I think this uh, another thing that's interesting. We were talking about this earlier today in the pre-show was other instances of disinfo and how we've fought back against it and how we've seen it locally here in Texas. Kansas does provide a really good playbook in that we're not just fighting against something, we're also fighting for what we're for, which is really important if you're a progressive, you have to have the for argument. You can't just have the against argument. Um, I think Republicans, their, their mindset is a little different. Total negativity is a motivator for them. But for progressives, you, you gotta have the negativity with the positivity. And by the way, when you were talking about how hope can be dangerous, Chris, at the beginning of the show, it, it, it really started me, had me thinking about Ted Lasso and that phrase from Ted Lasso where they say, it's the hope that kills you. And it, <laughs> there's that. And then there's also the, the analogy of Lucy pulling away the football at the last minute from Charlie Brown. But like, yes, it does feel like when we get a little close here, like maybe those things can happen. But I, do, I really do think that this is a, such a cataclysmic issue, the abortion issue, that it can help us this year. And some of the things we have seen are Republicans turning lies into laws in this state. Diana and I have fought against this at the legislature. They have, we've, but we also see it not just in abortion laws. We've seen it with all of the voter suppression laws over the past two years that have taken place in this in this state and in this country. They say, yeah, they say there's so much voter fraud that we have to change the rules. And it's, it's a way to justify their voter suppression. But the truth is, there's not, voter fraud's not really a thing in this state. I think we have less than 10 issues per year. And a matter of fact, I think that the few that we have had were Republicans casting votes more than once. But the number of people who are disenfranchised by these voter suppression laws are like in the hundreds of thousands. Yep. And it's intentional right. because they're trying to stop, the, and it's, it's trying to stop people in places like, Democratic areas of Houston, Democratic areas of Dallas. Like we see right through it, but this is the lies that they try to produce on abortion, on voting rights, on climate change, on anything to try and get their point across. Fortunately, we've been able to see the tide start to turn on that. Uh, Unfortunately, it's taken close to a decade for us to get there. Uh, I haven't been in this fight as long as you two, all three of you actually, but I operate on hope that's what I go for. I mean, I may be a little bit naive, but you kind of need that a little bit sometimes to Absolutely. say, you know what? I, be- I believe that 
I can move this needle. I can, I believe that I can turn this tide. And, and especially what I've been seeing Beto with those numbers, all the, all the democratic candidates out raising. And now tell me Kansas. I mean, those, those, you know, the anti-abortion people, they're not in Kansas anymore. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, come on. It was there. Oh, it was there the whole time. How long have you been oh, sitting God. on that? <laughs> how long have we been recording? Um, <laughs> no, it's also good to see, though, that the places that we see as, oh, just immediate losses for progressives or for left-wing people. Oh, Kansas, they don't know any better. It, it, it allows us to say, oh, no. The, there are some good, good, level-headed people everywhere, and it's about getting those people activated towards what we see as the proper future for this country and for our communities. I want to go back to the the positive negative between progressives and and conservatives is actually a chemical response in the mind, and I talk about this in our in the message trainings that we do from time to time. But when you have a, a, a a negative response to something, your your fear kicks in, your adrenaline kicks in. It's basically a burst of cortisol that goes through your system. And people will react to that, right? Their adrenal responses will also react to that. Um, when you see something positive that you respond to, you get a dopamine hit. And it's that it, it's the same thing as like why you keep going back to, to a video game. You keep it that you're that you're either trying to win or that you are winning. You just want to get that one more win before you go to bed or whatever else, right? Uh, that dopamine hit is something that progressives really need to motivate them differently than conservatives need. For conservatives, the fear, the cortisol hit is the same uh, to get them moving as a dopamine hit is for us. And it's the reason why you see conservative media, you have Sean Hannity and you have um, Tucker Carlson on the right, but on the left, you've got like Samantha Bee, John Oliver, Trevor Noah. I, there's a reason for that, right? It's not an accident. And that, that's the reason why our messaging needs to reflect those mindsets and those worldviews as well. It's proven messaging-wise that the, the right, the far right, they're motivated by fear. But when it comes to progressives, we're not motivated from here for, uh, by fear. Imagine if you're like block walking, knocking on someone's door, you know, they open the door and all of a sudden they show they start spitting things um, in your face that are terrifying, that you're scared of. You're going to slam that door right back in their face like, I don't want to talk to you. But if you start talking to them with a message of hope and the future, for example, of what the state of Texas will look like with Beto as the new governor, they're going to want to hear more. They're going to get that dopamine hit, you know, like stuff has been very shitty here in Texas <laughs> Oh, under the failed leadership of uh, Abbott and all the other terrible uh, Republican politicians and to to have that dopamine hit of the positive vision of this great future we could have that's more of the messaging that we need to go on to um, you know motivate our base and to get to um, those other folks who are not turning out to vote it'll turn them out to vote yeah I feel like Beto O'Rourke has been doing a pretty good job about talking about all the things that we can do better in Texas 
you know, of course, there's there, there's too uh, dismal a track record for Abbott, you know, to completely ignore. But Beto has been being doing a pretty decent job, at least in the the video I've seen from his uh, his tour of Texas, of spinning it in a hopeful and optimistic, you know, forward future looking sort of way. Do we feel confident that? And I guess Beto's message at this point is the message of the Democratic Party in Texas, generally speaking, or that's the one that's being heard the most. But do we feel like the Democrats are on message in the way that they should be between now and November? If there was anything that we could change what would it be how do we feel about where things are with with their messaging scheme and i'll leave that out to anybody who wants to respond one thing i've been pleased to see with beto and chris you and i talked about this earlier this week is that he's not just talking to democrats he is talking to democrats in a way that empowers them to talk to the people around them who are not democrats what something that the those of us on this podcast and those of us listening would call soft connections, right? They're not our immediate connections. And giving them messages that empower them and let them speak with confidence about issues like guns. We're not coming to take your guns. We are going to make schools safer and make it harder to get a gun. There is a difference between the two of those things, and we've seen the consequences of it. And let's remind people the consequences of it. Uh, we've seen that the consequences of a failing grid. We've seen the consequences of a state that fails on health care. Uh, I think those are, the way he is doing it has been helpful. Obviously, we have about 100 days left. We need to do a lot more. But, yeah, I've been pleased with it so far, and I, I hope that we can, um, I hope we can stick with it. And it's not only him just talking, or rather, him influencing other people to talk to others. He's talking to red-hatted MAGA people at his town halls. He's going to every yeah. corner of Texas. What was it 59 stops, something like that? Something ridiculous. They think yeah. maybe even more. And... Republicans are coming. People who are pro Abbott are coming and they're saying, hey, this is what I'm about. And he's saying, no, let them talk. Let sure. them talk because my should. policies, my policies and my viewpoints and my plans can solve the issues that you have or a, a part of it. Or let me explain that I'm not trying to make sure nobody has a gun ever forever. It's I'm trying to get away. I'm trying to keep our children safe. So say a Sandy Hook and Uvalde doesn't happen here again. So like that's that's brilliant. Or sharing a message of, I may disagree with you, but I would like to hear you. Yeah. Right. Sure. Also very powerful. A lot powerful. more of that. A lot more mm -hmm. of that needed. Uh, did you guys see, Diana, Diana, I put this thing in Slack earlier, but it was about how Abbott is directing his volunteers and his staff. If they're invited in to Beto events, <laughs> don't go in because it's looking like he's converting you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, there was one guy. There was a viral yeah, at video. least one guy. Yeah, <laughs> there was a viral video. The guy was like, "I was a Trump supporter. I liked Abbott, and Beto convinced me that he's the guy for the job." And it's like, "Oh, yeah, okay." I, uh, you're talking about the, the the big bald guy. I I actually I know him through a couple of connections, and he's a terrific guy. And he is not, by the way. You may have heard people saying that he's a an actor from Austin, or that he's like a, a hastily recruited homeless guy. He is not at all. His name is Trey Ramsey. He's actually a, a, a huge TikTok personality. He's a he's the real deal. And and messages like that are so important. And uh, and I would say, you know, we all know uh, people who are are you know lifelong Republican voters and are conservative folks. I think you know most of us in our families have people like that. I certainly do. And I've been really pleased to see that a lot of the more uh, folks that were pretty darn conservative when I first uh, came across them or in the last few years have started to kind of come around to some more reasonable sort of thinking. And I think Trump was a catalyst for that. And the abortion thing, I think Roe is, is an additional catalyst for that. And it could all end up being just in the nick of time for November in 2024. So we shall see. 
You know, there's one last thing I want to bring up before we close. We talked about this earlier. Uh, did Alex Jones's lawyers accidentally send it to opposing counsel, or did they intentionally send it okay. to opposing counsel? That's what I was thinking. I didn't bring it up because I didn't want to bring up disinformation or rumors or whatever. But I was like, because so. And now we know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Um, word of the day. Um, so I used to work as a paralegal um, for. Uh, Back a lifetime ago, I, I wanted to become an attorney. Um, so I worked at a few law firms, and a big part of my job <laughs> was putting together the files that would go in Discovery. Discovery is a legal name for evidence, and in the folders and share them. So I was like, is, is could there also be like an undercover like paralegal who accidentally, quote unquote, sent it <laughs> over or something? Because you know, if if that paralegal gets fired, someone should hire them and give them a raise that they deserve for that beautiful moment that went viral. Look, undercover paralegal sounds like a show on ABC, and I'd watch it every week. <laughs> undercover paralegal. Hey. Saving the day for Alex Jones. It's like, it's so ridiculous. My favorite part... Whoever was behind the camera kept going back and forth and back and forth (laughs) between Alex Jones's like shocked, constipated face and the attorney laughing like, ha ha, funny you should say that because actually we have this here. And then when they finally went down to Alex Jones's attorney, he was just leaning back in his chair with a thoughtful pose with his hand on his chin like, hmm, and just didn't move from that position, just frozen, which just made it even more funny. Hire that guy too. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic. And actually, as we are recording this, the jury now has it. They're doing their deliberations to see what the damages are going to be. So in just the next day or two, we should know. I bet they, I bet they come back in like 10 minutes. Could be. <laughs> yeah. We give you the maximum. They, they, they're seeking $150 million, and this is only the first of three trials. There are two more trials Whoa. to go. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's big trouble for Alex. Guys, thanks so much. And, uh, oh, I've got something I've been sitting on since we started recording. Don't be afraid of the audacity of hope. Oh. Oh, oh boy. That's yeah. an oldie but a goldie. Mm. And, uh, and I, I think it, I think it you know, in our case in Texas, it is audacious to uh to have yes. hope in this state and so yes, uh and so i think it i think it works sam gonzalez diana gomez ed espinosa we've had a great time today on the progress texas happy hour uh we really really do appreciate you uh listening and supporting everything we do at progress texas don't forget to hit our website which is progresstexas.org. uh follow us on all those social uh, platforms do make sure and drop us a positive uh review and rating on the fa- on your favorite podcast app however you're listening to the podcast uh, again we appreciate you uh, very much and uh, let's stay hopeful out there and uh, and stay the course and uh, things are looking good for now let's try to hang on to that guys have a great afternoon and we will uh, catch you again next time we do this bye bye let's click our heels together and go home So one quick final note, uh, news that has come down as I'm wrapping up the uh, production of the podcast for this week, y'all, uh, reading from CNN Business, jury finds Alex Jones caused $4 million in damages to two Sandy Hook parents. Right-wing talk show host Alex Jones will have to pay the parents of a Sandy Hook shooting victim a little more than $4 million in compensatory damages. A jury in Austin decided on Thursday, capping a stunning and dramatic case that showcased for the public the real-world harm inflicted by viral conspiracy theories. The award from the jury was far less than what the plaintiffs, Scarlett Lewis and Neil Heslin, 
had asked for at the start of the trial, attorneys for Lewis and Heslin asked the jury to award their clients $150 million in compensatory damages. A separate and shorter trial during which punitive damages will be discussed is now expected. Mark Bankston, attorney for the parents, told CNN that the plaintiffs are happy with the jury's decision, noting that they had also received money prior to the trial due to sanctions the court had hit Jones with. So $4.1 million, the compensatory decision by the Alex Jones jury. They will begin considering punitive damages in trial tomorrow, Friday. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast, guys. We'll catch you again next time. Take care out there.